from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Back to Russia and the story of Paul Whelan, who was taken into custody by Russian authorities in December of last year, accused of espionage. His family says the charges are bogus. His family also says his health and his safety are now very serious concerns for them. He has seen a much more aggressive tone from the prison guards and has complained specifically about one guard that appears to be uh, getting close to being physically abusive. That's Paul's twin brother, David. Recently, Paul was injured. They're concerned now really that he is going to face surgery. It's not clear whether Paul has agreed to have surgery or not, um, but if that is the case, he will probably have surgery in the prison or at a, at a military a military site you know, nearby from a military doctor. So what is his condition? Are the guards at the prison out to harm him? How long will he remain there? And will his case be resolved anytime soon? Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. On August 26th, we talked to David Whelan, Paul Whelan's brother, as we do fairly frequently to find out how his brother's doing and how his case is coming and how the family is holding up. Paul has been detained in Russia since December of last year on espionage charges. One of the things we asked him about was an injury that Paul had suffered. And this is what he told us that day when we spoke to him. We haven't heard anything about that. Uh, we knew that he had at one point um, been moved from his cell to another cell, but we understood it was just a standard uh, prison sweep of a prisoner's cell. And so you, you move them out so you can do the investigation and then you move them back. Um, but we hadn't heard that he had been rough, uh, rough handled or uh, whatever happened. Uh, Paul had made a statement in court on Friday that he has suffered some sort of physical abuse. And uh, uh, that's really all we know. The U.S. Embassy staff are going in tomorrow, uh, the 27th, and uh, we'll be seeing Paul. And that'll be our first opportunity to learn what happened. So you said something, uh, there was a court appearance last Friday. Is, is that right? Right. It was his fourth detention hearing in the Russian system every two to three months. Uh, you uh, you can be held for two to three months and then they have to essentially renew the detention. And so we've just gone that for the fourth cycle. The, the cycle will end again in October uh, on the 29th. And uh, we expect it. Uh, his detention will be continued past that. Two days later, on August 28th, we spoke again with David after there were new developments about Paul's health. As far as we can tell, although he has been, uh, he has seen a much more aggressive tone from the prison guards and has complained specifically about one guard that appears to be uh, getting close to being physically abusive, um, he's complained to the warden. Uh, he has not suffered any physical abuse from the prison, uh, prison staff. You obviously don't have a way to know how he's doing 
um, since that time. But I did uh, see that um, he he. He he had to be uh, he had to receive some special treatment after this aggravation of the hernia. Can you explain? Right. Yes, we've had a very difficult time knowing what his medical care is. He um, has requested orally in a uh, meeting with the U.S. Embassy staff, and he has written uh, requests to the prison that his medical records be released to the four countries that are looking after his care there. Uh, and nothing has happened, so we don't really know what his medical state is. And the both the uh, prison and the Russian Foreign Ministry have denied his ability to get access to a doctor outside of the fort of a prison. Um, and so we were surprised that um, to hear that he had been visited by some doctors from the Russian Ministry of Health. And that apparently was in response to, uh, to this hernia, um, because they're concerned now really that he is going to face surgery. Um, there's a, it's not clear whether Paul has agreed to have surgery or not. Um, but if that is the case, he will probably have surgery in the prison or at a, at a military uh, um, uh, a military site, you know, nearby from a military doctor uh, who will uh, who will do the surgery for him. And um, it is your understanding that he had to be immobilized. Well, it, it it sounded to me like he was unable to move, so he was unable to get up, and he and he was not able to do the, the daily exercise that prisoners are allowed to have. Um, it, he he couldn't take the stairs up to the roof, which is where the exercise pen is. So he was essentially uh, not able to to move or get around during those four days. And of course, when we heard this, there was a concern about that one guard that he had complained about and whether or not Paul's injuries had resulted from some confrontation with this guard. We were obviously concerned. I mean, I had to talk to my mom on Saturday morning and explain to, him that, to, explain to her that I didn't think that Paul had been beaten. That wasn't our understanding. And, and the U.S. Embassy confirmed that that is the case. He was not beaten by uh, uh, prison staff. But uh, I mean, it, it is clearly becoming a more precarious situation for him than it was. Uh, and it, it was also unclear from his lawyer's statements to the press exactly what's going on. Because So we know that the uh, uh, there might be an indictment shortly, but the, also the judge has given the investigator four more months to investigate. So, <laughs> you know, we're sort of getting mixed messages about what's coming next. What did you learn from this last court appearance? Not really uh, very much that we didn't already know. Uh, obviously, everything in the case is confidential, uh, his lawyer has said that there is no evidence, but because the uh, case is is essentially under a gag order, you know, there's no information about what there is or isn't in relation to the charges. Um, so it really was just uh, whatever Paul made as far as a public statement, uh, and then the lawyer's comments at the end. So we know from Paul's statement that his health continues to be a, a concern. It's deteriorating. He uh, may be facing a, a hernia surgery that will have to be done in the prison because he's not being allowed uh, access to medical care outside the prison. Uh, and then his lawyer said that we are apparently coming towards the end of the pretrial period. Uh, and so an indictment will be proffered at some point soon. And then there will be an evidentiary phase. And then at some point in the future, a trial. What do you think will be going on at the end of October? Well, based on what we've seen so far, I think uh, there will be another extension of the detention. Uh, I don't believe that there is any investigation going on. So this is really just sort of kicking the can along as far as they can. Um, there may be an, an indictment, but the indictment and uh, evidentiary period can be many months and they'll need to keep Paul in prison. Uh, I doubt that there will be a trial. In the case of Frode Berg, the Norwegian um, who was uh, uh, arrested on espionage, I guess almost a year and a half ago, two years, uh, it took almost a year for him to get to trial um, after they had finished this first pretrial phase. So I think we're in for a lot more 
detention hearings and the same sort of circus that we had on Friday. A reason I asked you that question is because I'm not sure if you know, but Maria Butina is scheduled to be released from prison on the 25th of October. And there, yes, I knew. Okay. There are many who suspect that this whole thing regarding your brother has been stretched out in retaliation for her situation. So I was wondering if there was any thinking along those lines about that. Perhaps not. No, and, and I remember you and I have uh, talked very often, and I appreciate you having me back on your program, uh, even back in January and February, that uh, we didn't think that there was any connection to Ms. Butina's case, and I still don't think there's any connection to Ms. Butina's case. Uh, Deputy Foreign Minister Ryabkov and, and Foreign Minister Lavrov have both stated a number of things that they might be interested in uh, trading the Americans for in order to get Americans in Russian custody back, uh, and Ms. Butina isn't one of them. What are those things? Remind us again what those things are they're interested in trading? Uh, a number of them are diplomatic properties that were uh, um, taken by the Obama administration from the Russians uh, in, in, in the United States. So a diplomatic property in New York, a dip diplomatic property in Maryland, and then a number of uh, uh, Russian uh, Russians who've been convicted of crimes and are held in uh, uh, American prisons. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> So, Especially for a, a fellow who, I mean, he's he's he just was a tourist. He went over there uh, for this wedding and and has been in this mess for eight months now. Precisely why I said that, because um, there are those who will still believe that uh, they made a big mistake when they grabbed your brother. Uh, and they are trying to, one, say face and two, trying to figure out what they can most get out of this because of that. Um, do you agree with that? Yes, uh, there was a it was a funny uh, thing. I'm not sure I've got the translation right because I was using Google Translate, but there was a funny comment from a, a retired FSB general who said essentially this guy is is nothing. He's got no information. He's not an agent. Uh, uh, we we're going to have to pay for his upkeep <laughs> for the near future. Uh, we might as well just send him back and make whatever trade we can and just get rid of him. Pretty soon it's going to be ten months that he's been in custody. So what do we expect to happen in the next few days or weeks? We're coming into a very clouded phase of Paul's detention. And then in the United States, we're starting to see um, sort of the fruition of my sister's efforts to uh, make connections within the government, work with Congress. And so I think we will see in the beginning of September, um, the introduction of a joint resolution uh, on Paul's behalf. Um, so that's a very positive step. And I think we're just going to have to sort of wait and see what is becoming clear on the uh, detention side. Again, with this indictment, uh, his lawyers have said, you know, it could be two weeks for the indictment and then the evidentiary period could be a couple of weeks and we might see a trial in October or November. Um, and then we've heard that his detention will last for four more months. And so we're getting all sorts of mixed signals uh, as to what's next for Paul, because from that perspective, separate from the diplomatic efforts to get him home, uh, we realize that he'll be convicted if he goes to trial because that's just how it happens in Russia, 100% conviction on espionage charges for foreigners. And so we need to be thinking about whether we uh, suggest to him that he goes through the appeals process or immediately seek clemency from President Putin um, or what the best next steps will be. What is the most um, moving or impressive thing that your brother has been able to communicate to you? and your family since he's been in detention, something that um, you would say is foremost in your mind? His resilience and strength, I think. He's he's mentioned a number of times that the letters that he has received from Americans, Americans he doesn't know, um, have really helped his morale. He has used his Marine training, his survival, I, I think it's called S-E-R-E, -E, 
survival training uh, to try and maintain a high morale in these conditions and not to get into physical altercations with uh, the prison staff and things like that. Um, but it's the communication and support from the Americans who've, who've expressed it by uh, communicating with him that has, has been really positive. He hasn't gotten all those letters, but he has seen it when the U.S. Embassy brings in a stack of letters. He knows that people are, are thinking about him. So I think it's that, that ongoing resilience of just, you know, keeping up as high a morale as you can in this just awful situation where you don't speak the language, where you've got medical issues and health concerns, um, where you can't communicate with your parents. Uh, it's, it's awful, but he's done just an amazing job at keeping that up. Just one more thing. The FSB. There are many who say that this is a renegade operation or a rogue operation. What are your thoughts on exactly what this organization is based on what you've learned from your experience through your brother? I think rogue or renegade may be a term that gives it a little bit more class than uh, than it really is. But I, I do think it's along that lines. I think what probably happened is that Paul was caught up in what seems to be a, just endemic corruption in the FSB and the police force. And and we've seen that over the last couple of months as I've been monitoring Russian news. You see uh, a number of cases where uh, FSB officers have been arrested or you know ejected from the force for a variety of corruption and crime. So, I mean, uh, that seems the most likely to me. Uh, and it, it's a little Keystone cops. So I think that they were left with egg on their face uh, when they thought they had caught a big fish, as, as Paul has referred to it. He's, they thought he caught a big fish, and they didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, they had someone who really doesn't know anything. And for those of you that are new to this podcast, here's how all of this started. Let's go back to January of 2019, our first conversation with David Whelan. Uh, on uh, December 22nd, Paul flew into Moscow. He was uh, visiting to participate in a wedding. A an American friend of his, a former Marine uh, like Paul, was having a wedding ceremony there and had brought over his American family and had asked Paul to attend the wedding as well, since Paul had been to Russia a few times in the past uh, and to help guide the Americans around um, the sites and to you know sort of help, help them to navigate Moscow. So he was in the city, uh, he was doing some sightseeing, he was visiting with some friends and uh, participating in this uh, wedding party. And then uh, on the 28th, after having participated that morning in a tour of the Kremlin and Armory with the people who are attending the wedding, uh, he, he just disappeared. Uh, he didn't attend the wedding, which occurred that night, and the groom uh, attempted to contact him after the wedding was over, and uh, there was no response from him, which is extremely uncharacteristic. So the groom reached out to us over the weekend, let us uh, know that he, n nobody had seen him or heard from him uh, since that Friday. And so uh, we started looking to find out what information we could. And on Monday morning, on the 28th, uh, we found, uh, I mean, on the 31st, I found uh, that he had been detained. I found a Russian ministry statement saying that Paul Whelan had been detained for espionage. And it's now been... Uh, I guess uh, almost 10 days since he was detained yeah. and uh, yeah. uh, about a week since we ha uh, were able to make contact with him uh, at Lafort of a prison. Yeah. So now um, you learned about the fact that he was missing from his friend and you learned about the Russian arrest uh, from the Russian statement. Uh, how again did you come into that statement? How did you find that statement? I'm a law librarian, so I got up first thing in the morning and I got on the internet and started searching for things like American killed in Moscow, American car crash Moscow, that sort of thing, and uh, uh, eventually came across um, uh, uh, the the news wires that were reporting that he had been detained. What did you feel when you saw that? 
uh, mixed emotions, frankly. Uh, we were glad. Uh, I was glad, and uh, I immediately uh, c- contacted the rest of my family that he was alive, uh, as far as we could tell. Um, so that was a positive thing. But uh, then immediately you're hit with the, uh, I guess, horror is the best word, that um, some member of your family has been detained in Russia on charges that are obviously very serious. Yeah. And, you know, the story about his arrest allegedly being in a hotel room with somebody, uh, he was charged with espionage and supposedly was in that hotel room with somebody and and came into possession to the possession of a a USB stick with classified information regarding people who are or were a part of the Russian intelligence or military services. Do you believe that story? Uh, do I believe that he was uh, in the possession of it? Um, I, I I could see how that might happen. Um, do I believe he was probably entrapped into uh, having that in his possession? I think that's much more likely. I don't think Paul would uh, have been the sort of person who would have risked uh, um, espionage or spying in Russia. Even the experts are very careful about that sort of thing. And Paul, Paul isn't a spy. He's a tourist. And so um, even though he's risk aware from his background in law enforcement and, and the military, uh, I don't think that he would have uh, willing or knowingly accepted any sort of information that would have uh, caused him to break a law like the Espionage Act. Why do you think he, he was essentially railroaded this way then? You know what? I've been scratching my head and uh, – uh, we've been surprised by some of the information that's come out about Paul's background. We didn't know about his uh, bad conduct discharge from the Marines, for example. Um, and 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 yet each time it, a rock is turned over and we learn something new, I saw that the uh, the Russian media appears to be looking at his uh, interest in uh, tea glass holders from, on the trains, and apparently he had a collection of those. Um, mm-hmm. You just find something that sounds more and more uh, incredible. That you know, whoever this person is, uh, and I know him as my brother, uh, brother, but obviously there's a lot I don't know about him. Um, he's He's not a spy. In terms of his travel to Russia, there seems to be some uh, concern on your part uh, in terms of what's being reported about it. Uh, you know, there uh, there been reports that he traveled extensively in Russia. But if I remember correctly, I think you uh, said in a correspondence uh, a couple of days ago, today being the 9th of January 2019, that to your knowledge, he's only been there two or three times. Yes. In fact, we've been able to find a couple more times, but I think it's only still uh, five or six that we've been able to confirm. Uh, and, and we're still looking to see in case he had been there more often. But for me, that's not many or significant when you consider that over the last 30 years, he's traveled extensively uh, to many, many different countries uh, to, uh, within Europe, to our relatives in uh, the UK. Uh, he's been to India. He's been to, uh, I believe he's been to Japan. I know he's been to Korea. So, I mean, he's, he's really traveled very extensively. And so, uh, the the focus on his Russian trips and and portraying him as some sort of uh, Russophile just seems uh, very different from the, per, the the person I knew, or even based on the the activities that he was doing that I would have considered uh, labeling him. You know, yeah, there's a lot that confirms and corroborates what you're saying about your brother, including this uh, development the other day where we learned that he had several different passports: uh, a, a U.S. passport, a British passport a Canadian passport and Irish. Uh, and, you know, some have tried to, you know, un, some people not very well educated about spying have tried to weave that into this idea that he might uh, have had those passports for those reasons. But the story is very different, isn't it? 
It is. I, I think if he had four passports under four different names and had sort of secreted them in some sort of case, I guess maybe that would be sort of Jason Bourne spying. But Paul and I were born in Canada to British parents, and so we were born with two passports and two citizenships. Uh, my parents had emigrated from Britain, and my dad's dad had emigrated from Ireland to Britain. So when Paul emigrated to America, he was able to naturalize. Uh, he wanted to do that in order to be uh, to uh, uh, work in law enforcement. Um, he, he naturalized, and he so he got his third citizenship that way. Uh, and then when the Irish changed a law that allowed grandchildren to get an Irish passport, he just thought it would be, I think, a way to honor his heritage. Um, but th- there's, it's all in his own name. He hasn't done anything uh, peculiar except uh, perhaps uh, to people who only have maybe one passport or, or maybe only two. Uh, it, it, to have four maybe seems strange. So there you have it. That is the backstory on the end of the latest information. And just to recap, uh, Paul Whelan is still in Russian custody. He was injured recently, uh, has a hernia issue. We're not sure if he's going to have to have surgery or not. There is still great concern among his family members about his treatment there and the risk or the possibility that he could get into a confrontation with a guard that appears to be spoiling for a fight with him. Also, what will happen with his case? The government seems to be putting it off. The FSB seems to be unwilling to drop the charges, even though they have no evidence, uh, based on what we know, that he was engaged in any kind of espionage. The bright spot here is that his sister Elizabeth is going to be in Washington to generate some support uh, in Congress and amongst the American public for Paul and perhaps put some pressure on the U.S. government to help deal with, with this situation a bit better. We'll continue to follow it. And next week, we'll bring you an update after we sit down with Elizabeth Whalen. Thank you, as always, for listening to Target USA. I deeply appreciate the opportunity and you taking your time to listen to us. If you have any questions or comments about what we're reporting and working and covering, send us an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. That's jgreen at wtop.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you're interested in more national security and intelligence news, sign up for our newsletter, Inside the Skiff, at wtop.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. If you're looking for something on the cutting edge of audio entertainment, there's a new series called We're Alive, Gold Rush. It's an end-of-the-world comedy adventure to recover a billion dollars in gold in the middle of the apocalypse. Crazy, right? That's just the start. This 10-part epic features familiar voices such as Christy Carlson Romano from Kim Possible and guest star Danny Trejo from Practically Everything Awesome and our very own Caitlin Bristow and more. This oral spaghetti western takes listeners across the wastelands with high-speed chase scenes, battles against the infected, horrors, heroics, love triangles, and, of course, gold. Listen to the audio drama that started it all and be transported into the theater of the mind with We're Alive, Gold Rush, from Wayland Productions and Podcast One. The first episode available now on Apple Podcast and PodcastOne.com. 
Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.